On a visit to Chicago when I was eight, I witnessed a terrible argument in Yiddish between my father and grandfather. Driving away from his father's house, Saul started to cry so bitterly he had to pull off the road. After a few minutes, he excused his lapse of self-control by saying, It's okay for grown-ups to cry. I knew his heart was breaking. I knew because of the bond between my father's tender heart and mine. As Saul's firstborn, I believed our relationship to be sacrosanct until his funeral, an event filled with tributes to his literary accomplishments and anecdotes about his personal influence on those in attendance that set in motion my reconsideration of that long-held but unexamined belief. As we drove away, I asked my brother Dan how many sons he thought were in attendance. His answer, literally correct, was three. I disagreed, feeling that almost everyone there considered him or herself to be one of Saul's children. That first glimpse of the extent of Saul Bellow's patriarchal influence awakened me to the impact of a literary persona I had assiduously avoided while he was alive. I grew up in a household filled with books and lively conversation, bound together by a commitment to seeking and telling the truth. I came to share the value my parents placed on culture, which included the quiet solitude that my father thought essential to writing. His study door was firmly closed every morning, a sign of the barrier Saul drew between writing and living. For decades, I ferociously protected his privacy, literary and personal, which both of us connected with those hours of his writing day. As a child, I learned not to disturb him. As an adult, I turned a blind eye to the literary persona and to the public furor over his fame, which reached an apex in Stockholm. After 1976, I boycotted all events held in his honor. Saul became offended, but I felt the limelight contaminated the private bond I was trying to protect. The posthumous tributes to the author who altered American literature came as no surprise. Hoping that my son Andrew, who took no interest in Saul's literary career, would learn a bit about a grandfather who had paid him scant attention, I urged him to watch the discussion of Saul that aired soon after his death on the PBS NewsHour. The next day, Andrew said, What was all the fuss about Grandpa changing American literature? He was just a grouchy old man. Andrew's response succinctly captured a distinction between the private man and the literary lion that was just beginning to dawn on me. As soon as Saul died, his lawyer, Walter Posen, set the tone for what was to come. Instead of calling the family, Walter phoned the public media. I learned of my father's death on my car radio. The chosen speakers at Saul's funeral were Martin Amos, the literary son, and Ruth Weiss, the dutiful Jewish daughter. Though no family members were asked to speak, I rose to praise Saul's widow, Janice, for her devotion during my father's last years. Strangely silent was another literary heir, Philip Roth, who, like a kind of brooding hamlet, wandered the edges of the funeral in deep thought. Soon thereafter, the New Yorker published a series of rambling letters Saul had written to Philip about the origins of his novels, which I thought underlined the uniqueness of the deep literary connection between them. 
I was transfixed as I read these letters, because the mental confusion apparent in Saul's repetitive accounts was like a stream of consciousness narrative that filled blank after blank in stories my father had told me. To keep my grief private, I avoided the flood of obituaries until urged to read Leon Weaseltier's tribute in The New Republic. I was not surprised that he looked up to my father as an intellect or found him a man of great charm and wit, but his tribute was so complete a conflation of the famous author and my father, the man, that I could barely recognize Saul. As well, Mr. Weaseltier seemed to have found the basis of a deep rapport with my father that touched on personal affections I considered my birthright. In the following weeks, I heard and read many anecdotes and accounts that claimed a similar special closeness with Saul Bellow, the literary patriarch.